Hello and welcome to Clapcast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and hey, today we actually are joined by Alina Falds. How are you doing, Alina? I'm good. Um, I'm covering a film festival in Ottawa right now, so that's really fun and stressful. Um, but I got to rewatch Shiva Baby, so it's worth it. Oh, the festival's <laughs> already like actually started? Yeah, it started on Thursday. I've watched two movies so far. Um, so I really got to like catch up and power through and it's on the 17th. So, okay. That's a quick festival. Yeah. <laughs> We're also joined by Paul. How are you doing, Paul? What are you, what have you been up to? I have been, uh, watching through all the best picture movies. Um, I think I'm into my last 20, uh, which is such a weird thing because you'll watch these movies that you've seen listed a hundred thousand times. And then you watch it and you're like, wow bad year and like, it really does put it in perspective especially for like this year which I think you know is really rough it's interesting to be like oh there were a lot of years that were really rough and then there's other years where like nine great movies came out like uh 2019 so it's just interesting to see like uh how best picture really doesn't mean as much as the you know you put on to it um and I don't think I would have had that perspective just looking at the posters going, I'm sure those are fantastic films. <laughs> As someone who this week caught up with the greatest show on earth, I definitely will agree with you there. Literally was talking about that one. It was like the first movie that I watched and I was like, wow, this is, this is terrible. And it definitely is like a, you know, giving him the best picture for you know, a career versus, you know, whatever. But I don't think DeMille would want to look back and be like, that's the movie that people are going to watch. Either that or they just love the circus because that movie's just basically watching the circus in real time until you get to the bizarre ending. <laughs> Have you seen Oh my movie gosh, movie? I was obsessed with the. No, I haven't. Um, uh, I, like... Jimmy Stewart pays. Go ahead. No, I, I'm only at 29% on the letterbox, like uh, best picture movies. I'm also working on it, but like slower. I borrowed The Shape of Water from the library. So that's fun. I'll probably watch that this week. And I have to pick up the English patient from the library this week. So we'll, we'll get there eventually. The newer best pictures, I think I lucked out just because my dad's in the industry. So from like 2006 on, I've seen all the best pictures, just like through you know living so there isn't like that extra <laughs> you know 15 or so movies that you have to go through like shape of water things like that but yeah once I finish I'm planning to go through and rewatch some of the ones that like I vaguely remember that I know I watched like chariots fire when I that I watched at like 15 and just kind of get it a full set are you gonna rewatch nomadland once it wins um it won't win Trial of the Chicago 7 will win. Um, and I am loving the low-key backlash that Nomadland is having on uh, Letterboxd right now. Every time I click it, there's a two-star and it's like, not as good as people are thinking, kind of boring. And all right, in all the comments, yes, agreed. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> I'm starting to think Minari might be number two, not Trial, but we, we can talk about that next week when we talk about the Oscar nominations, which will be out by the time this is airing. But we're recording this beforehand, so we're just going to talk about that next week. With oh, yeah. Um, I'm going League. to predict it. My one prediction will be that there's just a shock and uh, the father completely sweeps. Like, wins things tomorrow. They're like, I don't know how it <laughs> happened. No one else was voted for. This is just the father. 
<laughs> it's a bold prediction, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> I'm actually excited right. for the Oscar nominations to finally come out because I just want to know what I can skip and what I actually need to watch because it's exhausting. <laughs> so much that's what's so funny and that's why uh you know all this best picture stuff is so interesting like that's how i feel too and it's like there's so many good movies that you're just like "Ah, i don't need to watch it because some random person (laughs) told me what no it's not that it's just that like 2020 i don't think there's any movie i gave like five stars you know like or i like last here in 2019 or I guess two years ago in 2019 there was like movies that I really really loved and then like 2020 I'm like there's good movies but there's not like oh my god I love this movie so much so I just like I want them to just tell me what I need to watch and what I can don't because I'm exhausted watching all these things that everyone is like oh my god Promising Yellow Moon is so good blah 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 is so good this movie was so good I'm like it's fine like it, it's good but it's not as good as everyone thinks it is all right <laughs> yeah I know it's it's really funny to think about uh certain like movies that came out last year like us for example that would like be a contender this year <laughs> yeah if they just held out a year um I think a lot of movies screwed up actually by saving it uh most notably I think Spielberg if West Side Story is good could have had a chance to like really sweep because people want something there's nothing fun this year <laughs> And if something fun had come out that's good, I think that they really would have had a shot. I mean, I even said this in the group chat. I feel like like this show, like I hate coming out and being like, wow, negative, right? But like movies used to be like better than this shit, right? Like for March, like this is rough. Like February, rough. January, like I think during Oscar season, we had at least like a few better films. But even then, like I think this was a typically like weak uh oscar season and like awards season yeah. like i think like that might be one of the reasons i'm feeling so just like done with this all with film it's just like wow <laughs> all these films are bad yeah we've been and like I'm... such sorry go ahead paul oh no go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say we've been such negative assholes on the podcast recently but like it's not our fault everything's bad <laughs> Which is a good thing we skipped the WandaVision episode because I'm sure yeah. there was positivity where we would have come in with our oh, very I, negative. App. I I don't think that's true, but <laughs> it, it wasn't a let's just say super positive experience on either one. It wasn't a love fest. <laughs> the only reason I didn't join that one is I was not paying thirty five dollars to watch Ray and the Last Dragon. Absolutely the fuck not. I'm so I complain about this often, but I'm so tired of these bullshit 20 plus dollar video rentals how dare you how dare you it's just um, trash. it comes out on know, June 4th. I, it's not out yet <laughs> i almost re-rented um barb and star and which would have been my third time but then i looked it up and i was like i bet this comes out on dvd like in may i can wait it comes out in april like early april so oh. gonna wait already pre-ordered I pre-ordered multiple copies because I'll be giving them out to friends like, hey, nice to see you. Here's a copy of Barb and Star. (laughs) Well, on that note, why don't we transition over to the reviews for today's episode? We have four of them today. Uh, You know, hopefully we'll find positivity in at least one of them. Uh, But let's start with Coming to America, the long-awaited sequel to, you know, Coming to America.
you doing back here? Mufasa! <laughs> Say it again, Phil, right in his I've just discovered that I may have a son here in this land. How much child support is she getting from? The king pays no child support. No child support for 30 years and you came back? You was a dummy! <laughs> Hello, I am Hakim Jaffer, king of Zamunda. You are the heir to the throne. Yeah, my son. Prince Hakim Jaffer is set to become king of Zamunda when he discovers he has a son he never knew about in America, a street-savvy Queens native named Lavelle. Honoring his royal father's dying wish to groom the son as the crown prince, Hakim sets off to America once again to find his son. Alina, why don't you start us off with this one? What were your thoughts on coming to America? That is the number two, to be very clear. It was disappointing. I mean, granted, I've only seen, like, I only saw the original Coming to America, like, T.O., um, on, like, Friday morning, and then I watched the new one the very next day. So, like, it wasn't a movie that I was, like, necessarily looking forward to, and that, like, meant something to me, because I just ha- never happened to, like, see the original. Um, but I had really liked the original when I first saw it. Like there's a lot of like problematic things about it, but it came out in 1988 and I'm one of those people who are like, it's an old movie, who cares? I can let that go. Um, Cause I really liked the love story between um, Prince Akeem and Lisa, but it was just like, it was cute and heartwarming. Um, and then you get to the second one and you're like, what the hell? Like, what the hell is this? Honestly, like, first of all, why is it called coming like, to like number two America they're like in America for five minutes in this like it should have been Paul said we were talking yesterday it should have been coming from America I would said it should have just been staying in Africa staying in Zamunda because they're used to they're in Zamunda the whole time well how the fuck are they coming to America whatever it's fine um I it's kind of disappointing to see Eddie Murphy in another like bad movie um because he did quit acting for uh, quite a while because he was tired of making bad movies and he came back with like Galway is my name and he was really good in that and that was a good movie then he does this I'm just like Eddie come on my guy um and like this story itself isn't that interesting I kind of wish it had just been like seeing um Prince Akeem like as king and like ruling the kingdom with his like daughters because like I did not give a shit about his son at all his like bastard son that like pops up and he's just like annoying I just like lost interest and I was like this is it's just a disappointing sequel and it was an unnecessary sequel it is funny going off uh what you just said I didn't love the uh original I again like you just watched it um and it's mainly just because it has that Landis comedy feel of like here's a conceit and we're going to continue the conceit when the characters themselves really like would be better off just you know telling the truth versus keeping this lie going that's like ruining people's lives so that just that's my like personal like annoyance so it wouldn't have been something I was really connected to anyway but the sequel it was interesting because I saw someone on Twitter write that it felt like this there had been so many variations of this sequel over the past like 30 years and they kind of hodgepodge all of their favorite ideas together and it was like 10 different movies at once um and once you think of it from that perspective it's like oh this you know this is this part's from the 90s and this part's from and like moving up 
it really does make sense on like how jumbled it is because they're the plot makes zero sense mm -hmm. in terms of like you know any sort of narrative yeah i think this movie just should have been called like not a movie being made i hated this film so much uh i think <laughs> like even in the context of like unneeded comedy sequels which we've seen a ton of we saw zoolander we saw uh, Bill and Ted recently got another film like I think this is particularly quite bad uh, there's no point to this film there's no compelling story there's no compelling angle you know exactly where you, it's going the entire time character work is quite bad it's just like unfunny rehashes of the first film done so so much worse um, I also saw the first film this week. I never saw it before and I enjoyed it for what it was. I didn't love it. I didn't, you know, wasn't necessarily groundbreaking, but I thought it was a fun comedy. Um, and this one just like shit on its grave and just like, it was bad. It was very, very bad. I will say, especially disappointing coming from the director of Dolomite is my name, considering this, is, I did like that film quite a bit. Um, I will say it is very like I don't know how problematic you want to say it is but like it is weird to me that number one John Landis was a white director but you know he was personally talked to by Eddie Murphy it is strange to me that it was a white director behind both Dolomite is my name uh and this film considering they're so tied to the black experience within America um but yeah this film I hated it was so long so drawn out and just so unfunny yeah and um I saw I think it was Rick Ross uh let them use his house and it definitely did not feel like we were in Zamunda, which is funny because the original I was watching and I was like, and this is the same problem I actually had with Bill and Ted, where there's a great aesthetic in the original one and they like modernize it for no apparent reason. Um, and they did that with uh, the castle here. I would have preferred that same like, you know, kitsch 80 look all the way through it would have been really funny and I think it it as much as bringing back old jokes bringing back old locations is just as important so it's a little weird to me that this continues to be a thing where they're like we're going to update it and do a completely new vision on something that doesn't need a new vision there's also a point in the movie where um the like son and then Akeem's oldest daughter I forget everyone's names um they're like talking in the garden or something and they make like a joke about like unnecessary sequels so I'm like just because you make a joke about unnecessary sequels and you're unnecessary sequel doesn't mean you're smart it's just slap in the face that like that part pissed me off because I was like you guys know it's bad why are you making it <laughs> well even more so uh there was a line where they were talking about how much they love barbershop and I was like mm -hmm this feels weird. And then I went and looked it up and the writer of this, Kenya Barris, also did the Barbershop movie. So he was basically like referencing how good his movies were. And uh, the joke with uh, Beauty Shop with uh, Queen Latifah, 100% is something that really happened in his life. And he was like, this is a hilarious joke. It's like, it's a funny story to tell in a bar. You don't put it in your film. <laughs> I think this film is very telling about like the current batch of like modern comedy actors. And I keep feeling really just not vibing with them. Like on TV, because most of them come from TV, it works well enough because you don't really need to like blend into your environment necessarily as well. Like it just works a lot better on TV. I think in this film, every single actor who you could tell is just like a famous comedian from a TV show, no matter what that is, 
uh, you could just tell right away, like, oh, that's him. Like, it doesn't work at all acting wise. It just feels very, very out of place and just like unfunny. I think that's the biggest thing about this film is like, at the, you know, you, sure, maybe coming to America with the number two doesn't have some great story or some great moral or thesis or anything, right? But like, at the end of the day, it's just not funny. It's cringy at best at, in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and going off what you said with uh, the actors, that's how I felt with uh, Leslie Jones. Also weird casting because even though she and uh, Eddie Murphy are around the same age, I actually had to look it up. She, like, because her career is newer, she feels so much younger that I really was, like, thinking she was miscast. Uh, that was, like, one of the weirdest points for me was, like, you know, watching her and it's, like, she's alive in the 80s and I was like I thought she was in like her 30s or 40s wouldn't she be a child right now um she's not but it was just like that visual between an old school comedian coming back and you know someone who's like doing really well right now it was just a weird vibe that like really threw me for a while the thing that most disappointed me about coming to America is Eddie or Prince Akeem's daughters like he's three daughters and that's why they have to like go and get the like son because only a, a man can rule uh, apparently his daughters are so much more interesting than the son is and I'm like why couldn't we just have a movie like Princess Diaries 2 where they're just like trying to change the law and all this stuff because like Mia doesn't have to get married to be queen in the end why couldn't one of them just ended up queen like like Kiki Lane plays the oldest daughter and I really like her she was in If Beale Street Could Talk and she was in The Old Guard and she's like the most interesting, she's way more interesting than the sun. I'm like, this is, you guys like fucked this up, honestly. You had all the things like there to make this like a decent sequel. And then you just went in like such a stupid ass direction for no reason. Just because you needed to go back to America one more time. Makes me mad. <laughs> Going off positive, I, I do like the acting in that of the daughters. I think they're really fantastic. Uh, again, like mistreated for sure. Should have been the focus, but you know, whenever they're on screen, I like them. Uh, the costume design is also, I thought, really, you know, quite good going off the first film. Not quite as iconic as the first film. The like lion robe thing was like from the first film, fantastic. Uh, not, not that they killed a lion per se, but you know, it looked cool. Uh, the, the one, you know, here it looked pretty good. Uh, all the costumes and stuff. I didn't like the cinematography as much, especially for like the dance sequences. I thought they looked much worse in the first film. Uh, again, ruining the aesthetic, like Paul mentioned. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do agree there on like a fundamental level. I think there's stuff here that could have been funny and could have been good. Um, they just don't do anything with it and then choose to focus on unfunny and unlikable aspects of the story. Well, and I think what one of the things that's pretty interesting is this was originally supposed to be released in theaters and this is not a theatrical movie. Like, you know, for an Amazon Prime drop, um, same as how I'm feeling about the HBO Max movies, I keep going like, that was fine. I'm glad I watched that. The, if I had to pay... $17 or whatever for <laughs> to go see coming to America um it is really interesting that it's like you know a lot of these movies are lucking out by selling instead of being immediate you know <laughs> one weekend box office and then flops um because it's this is not you know theater quality 
this didn't even feel like Amazon Prime quality. This felt like Netflix. Like if this came out on Netflix, I'd have been like, yep, that makes total sense. Amazon Prime, at least normally, like their films have some level of like really decent quality most of the time. Yeah, no, this felt like Netflix though to me. The funniest part about that is this has probably been watched so many more times than like Sound of Metal or any of those movies that, you know, are the Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime quality. I did. I have a couple of friends who are like actually like from Africa. Like I have a Kenyan friend who's married to a Nigerian guy. And I also have a Rwandan friend. So since like neither of us are like black, I wanted to ask them what they thought about like the Coming to America series. And one of them had seen it and the other two hadn't. So they watched them both for me yesterday, which was really nice of them. Um, and they have some thoughts. Um, they So they liked the first movie better, like story-wise, but they think it showcased like a lot more negative African stereotypes. So the one positive of the Coming to America sequel is it's very good with how it like portrays Africans. And I wanted to know that specifically because I don't know about every actor in this movie, but it seems like most of them are African-American, but it's like taking place in Africa. And the African-American experience and the African experience are very, very, very different. Um, so like my friend Amanda, the Kenyan girl, she told me like a few interesting things that like the costumes are really well done and accurate to a lot of Kenyan tribes. Um, the dancing and even the like lion whiskers, the rite of passage, there's a community in Kenya that used to do that. Like it's a real thing. So, and they also really like the music. So the first coming to America is better for the story. The second coming to America is like better for the portrayal of Africans. So that's the one good thing we can say about it. Yeah, that I mean, it adds up that the John Landis feature from like the 80s wouldn't be the most politically correct. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and now moving from Amazon Prime back to Netflix, because we can't go uh, more than one week without talking about this uh, distribution company. Let's talk about Bombay Rose. You can dream anywhere, can't you? So why the sea? So dreams can be as boundless as the sea. How much? 10 for 100. It's Miss D'Souza. You must behave like a well-mannered young girl in your English class. Didi, he saved the cat yesterday and today I saved him. He's a hero and I'm a hero. Stay away from the girl. She's not for you. Amidst the bustle of a magnetic and multifaceted city, the budding love between two dreamers is tested by duty and religious divides. Paul, why don't you start us off here? What were your thoughts on Bombay Rose? Um, so did you guys, I don't know if you're a little too young, but did you ever play uh, movie, uh, those games, the, like 16-bit games from like the late 80s, early 90s, um, like Sonic or anything like that? But um, sometimes they would have cutscenes, and they were like this really weird style that you could tell they didn't have a huge color palette or budget and would just kind of like 
do this uh, weird movement. Um, and in the 90s, I love that. This felt like that for an entire movie. And, um, you know, my dad's in animation. Um, so I have an appreciation for like different animation styles and things like this. This was one of the ugliest movies I've ever seen. Um, the character models change between like moments and not in a way that feels like planned feels like they just kind of were doing whatever they wanted um especially the uh main girl there's scenes where she like is just a different character model it's just not even the same character um you can even see it in the posters there's two posters and you know one is a different animation style than the other um so that alone really bugged me but um in terms of plot, uh, I think Alina knows this bit better because she has some history with Bollywood movies. But it was just, it was a very confusing film. Um, characters just came and went and I had no clue who anyone really was or their relationships to each other. Um, and then it, it just doesn't really go anywhere. Um, it needed an editor and an animator and a writer. It just needed a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think there are certain aspects of the story that are like callbacks and reminiscent to like traditional Bollywood movies. And disclaimer, I've only seen Bollywood movies that have Hrithik Roshan in them because like as a child, my family watched a lot of them, but I was not sitting my ass for like three hours and reading subtitles. I came for the songs and then I left. Um, so like now I watch them more as like an adult and like all the ones with Hrithik Roshan are so good. And then the ones like without, I'm like, I wish Hrithik Roshan was here. So I kind of like stick to his, his filmography right now and that eventually I'll branch out. But like a lot of the love story specifically reminded me a lot of Bollywood, but the movie Bombay Rose itself, it's just so jumbled. There's so many like plot points in it that just like don't go anywhere because there's too much. Like there's a love story between like, the main girl Kamala and the dude Salim and like she's Hindu he's Muslim that's like a whole thing he's from Kashmir that's like a whole thing um Kamala was a child bride that's like a whole thing there's like a white actress who's teaching her little sister how to like speak English or whatever I'm like that's a thing there's like the little sister hangs out with like some street kid who's like deaf and mute but it's like just a lot and I'm just like I just watched it this morning and I'm so like not sure what happens with a lot of those plot points unfortunately like it had a lot of potential but they really should have like simplified it I think yeah I could not agree more with you Alina I think that's pretty much my thoughts exactly I actually do appreciate the animation style I think much more than Paul does where I think the movements are undoubtedly like choppy uh, I, I think overall if you took a screenshot from this film at pretty much any point it looks really really nice um, so I, I dug the animation style more than I, uh, than I think Paul did, but the story, yeah, I mean, there's just so much here. It gets so lost in just the chaos of this world. And I think like you could say like, oh, it's just trying to show like this city and the people in it and trying to show all these different little stories, but it just doesn't add up to anything of real value. Um, I, I like each character for what they are. I like the voice acting. Um, you know, I like little bits here, you know, there's the shop owner who's trying to hit on this woman and like, yeah, there's enough sweetness here. 
Uh, but I largely think that this film just needed a craft. I think it's very, very obvious that this is like not Cartoon Saloon. This is not Studio Ghibli. This is a like, it just, it doesn't have the craft that it clearly needed. I thought in regards to the animation style is like one was like the real life. And then the second one was like when they're like imagining their love story. Yes, That's why I Selena. thought they were different. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> See, Paul's just stupid. He doesn't get it, you know? <laughs> I, I understand that that was a concept. However, the animation style is bad. <laughs> I like the, I the real life one better. Nothing. Yeah. You like um, nothing. <laughs> no, I, it's like, it has potential. It reminded me a lot of It's Love made. The movie it's, exists. It doesn't well, have potential. Well, it's done. <laughs> it had past tense. They just messed it up. I, I, I liked, I thought it was like unique animation. I liked it. I don't think it's like the best animation ever, but I liked it. It was like, it was like painterly and reminded me a lot of like um, Hindu art and things like that. So like, it has things to it. It just, I don't know if it translated very well. To a point, kind of reminded me of Loving Vincent, which granted the movies look very, very different. But like, I think that's a mm-hmm. film where like, on paper, I like what you're trying to do. I think any screenshot would look good. But just once you actually see it in movement, it's like, oh, that looks off a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is very painterly, just like Loving Vincent was. Also, a guy's a bird. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I didn't it was about get that. To... <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that's the one thing I did like. Uh, not the fact that he was a bird, but I did like the uh, transition from when the bird first appeared as the guy. I was like, that's cool. That's unique. Yeah. I was like, is this like real? Or is she like imagining him as like a disgusting vulture or something? Like, I'm, I don't get it. He's a cool know. eagle. It wasn't a disgusting vulture. Whatever. <laughs> he was just like an evil ass bird. So yeah. I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, he's obviously the bad guy in the movie, but I was like, but why is he a bird? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, in like university and high school, I did like a class on like Hinduism and there's like thousands and thousands of like um gods and hinduism so maybe but i was like i was trying to search my brain i was like i don't think any of them turn into like birds from what i remember it was like is this a reference or something i don't know what the reference is i would love to find out i need to google it after this you know i also dug the pov from the rose that would go like fish-eyed and look weird. like i thought that was cool see paul the anime yeah actually paul i i a firm stance animation was good you're wrong when i saw the uh <laughs> when i saw the rose i thought of cherry Oh, uh, in your God. favorite sequence, and that's all I could think of. I was like, "Yep, oh. that's." that's <laughs> well, what on that note? Why don't we transition over to Cherry? Oh, here we go. I'm 23 years old, and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart till I about die from it. Hey, I'm really happy you're here. Why is that? Because I like you. But there never seems to be enough time to do You're it for me. I feel the same way. I joined the army. Why would you do that? 
Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen. And it's a nightmare. Cherry drifts from college dropout to army medic in Iraq, anchored only by his true love, Emily. But after returning from war with PTSD, his life spirals into drugs and crime as he struggles to find his place in the world. Uh, I'll talk about this because I did the review for Clapper. I'll start us off. Um, I want to put it into perspective. I, I don't want to brag about screeners, but I did get sent a screener very early for this film where there was only one person really on the internet, not going to name names, but one person on the internet who saw this film. So my expectations just based on this review was it was incredible. So I sit down. You can imagine my surprise when I sit down after hearing that this film's a fucking artistic triumph. And I sit down and I press play on my screener and I get the shittiest film I think I've seen in a long time. Uh, there's only one entity in this world who should be thanking Sia for making music. And that is the Russo brothers for Cherry because it saves it from being the worst film of the year. Uh, I think this is abysmal. I think this is near unwatchable. The style is so unrelenting and horrible and just like toxic and just endless toxic masculinity, endless just fucking yelling, endless annoying camera angles and visual style. It is just so much and it's so unrelenting for the entire runtime. I think the ending part at least gets a little bit more competent. Uh, but I think this is largely an incompetent and truly horrendous feature. Uh, it's boring. It is painful. It is headache inducing. I think Tom Holland, I don't, with peace and love, don't get why people are saying he's good in this film because he is horrendous. Uh, he's trying his hardest, but I think clearly this proves Tom Holland cannot do roles like this. Unlike something like The King, which I think saw Timothy Chalamet really step up and really show a different side of him. Tom Holland tries to be his like innocent, ubu, I'm Spider-Man self, and he just fucking fails here. Uh, as with the rest of this film, I hate it. I, I cannot put into words how much I hate this film. I was going to rewatch it for the podcast and I was sitting on my couch on Apple TV plus just hovering over this icon and I couldn't bring myself to rewatch this piece of shit. This is, I like, I, I talk a lot on the show about things I hate. This might be the worst feature I've watched for the show. I hate this. I hate this so much. I, I need to turn it over to you guys because I'll just continue just yelling about this film. A, you should have watched it because I rewatched Nomadland for the podcast. Um, so, you know, all's fair, but, um, I don't like this movie, but I'm a little less aggressively hating of it. Um, I always have a thing that I, um, where a noble failure, um, I think is a little more interesting to me than like competent and blase, um, and I feel like that's what this is. I don't like the Russos. I think that they really screwed up on the overall MCU. Um, I think they did one of the best with uh, uh, Winter Soldier. And then after that, they got very weird. I'm still annoyed about their uh, <laughs> um, have a first actual gay moment. That's one of them. There's just so many things that they choose to do that feel weird. Same with this movie. But saying all that I do think that there were concepts that were interesting in this um I did like that it felt like an epic but shortened 
um, you know, th this movie made in the 80s or something like that would have been like three and a half hours long. Um, so I did appreciate how quickly they were able to move through things. However, it's not good. Um, most of their directing choices are weird. Tom Holland's acting is bad, but um, the girl's worse. I forgot uh, her name. Sierra Bravo. Um, yeah, truly terrible. Um, especially during their scenes where they get into their addiction. I was like, this is like, I went to film school. I've seen like bad acting with, uh, you know, like college actors or whatever. This was worse than some of that stuff. It's just a really confused film. And if I had just made the highest grossing movie of all time, I don't know if I would have released this. <laughs> I think I would have like hidden it away for ever. Do a chaos walking, drop it, you know, five years from now. It's just rough. Alina, what do you have to say? I thought it was an embarrassing movie. Like, so like, it, there's just so a lot of there's like a lot of it's like oh my god it's in like three-ish different acts so like the first bit where he meets like what whatever the girl is named it's like okay this is whatever and then she like runs off to go to Montreal it's like why Montreal like as a Canadian who the fuck would want to go to Quebec as an as an Anglo-Canadian who the fuck would want to go to Quebec ew um so like I think I was complaining about that to you guys last night because it's like ew why she calls Montreal like a new Paris and I was like shut the fuck up no it's not Montreal's lame <sighs> whatever and then the whole point where he like Tom Holland is like joining the army I hate army movies especially like American and Canadian army movies but as a little Muslim girl I don't want to see it I don't care I don't give a shit I do not support our troops I'm sorry I'm sorry to offend you but I don't support our troops I support our veterans like I think like poor kids get like tricked into joining the army and then they get like fucked up and then they come back and then there's no support for them so I support our veterans but not our troops so like just during that whole basic training scene I was like this is dumb I don't want to see this full metal jacket did it the best I don't want to see any more basic training stuff like leave me alone um so I just totally like zoned out all the army stuff and then I popped back in and they're like addicted to drugs now robbing banks so I was like I don't know how we got here but it's this is a journey and I don't respect the journey um I think I like what the Russo brothers did with the MCU granted I have not rewatched like um Infinity War and Endgame yet but like at the time I did enjoy them when I saw them in theaters and I'm just like seeing this I'm just like why why the hell did you do this it's so bad and oh my god during that like parts where I like was paying attention to the basic training scene there's a part when like the drill sergeants are like talking about like their enemies and they're calling them all like hajis and I was like why are you using that term because an Islam a haji is somebody who makes the pilgrimage to Hajj, which is just, like a very like beautiful and spiritual thing and that just like really pissed me off and I did not like that so fuck this movie I think it's Islamophobic <laughs> I mean, what all like all military movies are Islamophobic and homophobic yeah. and just like horrible and no one seems to care. I think it's like I agree with you about the army point. Like I think number one, the whole army system is just like very, very cringy how they all like just yeah, it's like, OK, shut up. Um, yeah, I yeah, I couldn't do that. Uh, but like the outpost last year, I don't get how people like, oh, it's such a good movie when they're like literally making fun of waterboarding and like making fun of torture. It's like, yeah, that's so ha ha ha. We torture people. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? Uh, no, I think I do think the Russo brothers 
every like I think their additions in the MCU probably are the best pieces of the MCU. Um, I haven't seen Endgame again, but I stand by Infinity War. Um, I stand by their Captain America projects. Like I think their projects like traditionally are the best parts of the MCU. Uh, I don't get this. Maybe in Endgame's just curse because this was their follow-up and it's horrendous. Robert Downey Jr.'s follow-up was Doolittle and that was horrendous. <laughs> Tom Holland's, I think, was also Doolittle. So like maybe it's just cursed Endgame and now everyone's going to go do shitty things. I really don't know. The Marvel MCU's follow... Oh, no, it was Spider-Man. I was going to say it's Mar- it's WandaVision, so that was cursed, but actually it wasn't. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly why Paul said this was shortened when it's two hours and 20 minutes long. I think maybe it was the fact that the editors like would like like couldn't take any like more of it and that's why they didn't make it a full-on epic <laughs> you say oh it's at least it's not three and a half hours felt like five hours lawrence of arabia felt fucking short compared to this one um mm-hmm. yeah i hate it i know no 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 paul you're you're gravely mistaken for trying to make uh excuses for this film it is a disaster in every sense there's a shot oh, no, I from think it's- inside Tom Holland's asshole that's <laughs> looking out at the doctor. Someone had to go okay, in and like, visually thing, affect, make an asshole. Like, sh- no, no. Okay. But if we're going to talk about asshole shots, I think this one was less disgusting than Uncut Gems. And I felt like this one uh, also, you know, we're... <laughs> I don't want to say it worked for me, but I, I understood it for its plot in the movie a lot more than um, the one in Uncut Gems. And I think that that's going to be the, you know, if people ever talk about that scene, <laughs> um, that would be the comparison. And to me, it's like this one, it's stupid, but I also kind of understood, you know, they're trying to show that the army's invasive and all this stuff. I didn't like the movie. I'm not defending the movie. I just think that it's not the worst thing I've seen. Um, I would watch this over Nomadland. You're day. crazy. Oh, you, are ge- you are genuinely insane. <laughs> I, quarantine. I, like, I'm assuming this is due to quarantine because I don't think someone could be born this stupid. <laughs> no offense. Okay, but I, peace this, and love. Here, listen, listen, listen. This is my favorite thing about Paul. He shits on everyone else's like movie opinions and then his movie opinions are fucking terrible. <laughs> I have great movie opinions. Oh, no, they're I'm just... horrible. <laughs> they're the uh, worst. No. Um, well, th- why is it that my uh, number one review of the year is my takedown of Nomadland? Um, so you're a cloud no, chaser overall... and you just hate Nomadland because got you likes. <laughs> got it. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I just think it's a uh, bad movie. But no, this one's bad. I just think that like, I haven't read the book. But I know the book's supposed to be great. Um, so there's got to be something that happened in translation that makes this like a mess. Um, especially like the first scene where he takes acid, I believe. Uh, that's truly terrible. Um, <laughs> and one of the funniest things was that they released that clip by itself, thinking it would interest people. And I remember it just like making the rounds on Twitter and everyone's like, what is this movie? <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, and no, Endgame is bad, actually. Just gonna put that out there. I need to rewatch it, so I, I agree to- I, I can't stand I, time I, travel. That's fair. It's just anything with time travel and like, look at the good old days just really bugs me. 
but uh, continue on. You know, it was better than cherry. No matter what, I know it's better than a cherry. A lot of things are better than cherry. Most movies are better than cherry. Yeah. You know what? I'm tired of seeing like these stories. Like, I know that showing like veteran stories and how like their life is terrible and they come back maybe good, but like, can we just like do something about it instead of like seeing these like bad depressing ass movies about like veterans returning home from war like why don't we actually like take care of them instead of making shitty movies about them you know or at least make good movies about it that'd be I nice who, i don't know if it was one of you guys in our group chat or if it was someone else online and don't quote me i don't know for like 100 sure all the details but the novel is like the guy's real story so like this is kind of a true story it was his real story and one mm-hmm. of like his victims from a bank robbery or something didn't know about the book or the movie and they were like oh you got fucking spider-man to portray this guy because he's like a bad guy um Mm -hmm. i don't know i hate this yeah um there was an article about cherry that i read that said that he was still in prison while they were rapping um in game which is a wild thought um like how recent the storyline is he Mm -hmm. just got out of prison um and is now very wealthy Maybe that's the ending. And that's yeah. part of what is um, what I always get stuck with on these movies is, <laughs> it, you know, it's a story that's supposed to be like, this encapsulates this whole life. But they're, the actual story and, you know, the fact that the movie was made after all this, there's a whole another chapter of him writing this book and now being rich and like, what's going on there? And I'm interested in that kind of stuff. You know, if we're just going to talk about it as a biopic, um, that's one of the things that kind of like bugged me. I know it's a direct of the book, but he like has apparently turned his whole life around. So ending it like him getting out of prison, I don't care. Like I've seen that story. Um, I would have liked to have seen additional things. I don't know. I would Carson like to... upset that I would <laughs> like no, it's just aspects of cherry. I In just... cherry too. Keep cherrying. Uh, <laughs> I. I... I just wish there was anything here that was good. That's really what I wish they would add to the film was just like anything of quality or worth or value. It's not even like mm-hmm. I get, I hate the Russo brothers so much for a lot of things, but also like, they're like, Oh, it's a story about drug addiction. It's not, this movie's not really about anything. It has pieces. It has drug addiction. It's really, I guess, more about PTSD and the military, but like, it's not, they try to make this seem like it's some like glorious, like big thing. And it's not this, Oh God, this movie's just shit. It's bad. I don't know how people like this. It, I, it must just be like the Tom Holland stands. And then everyone else feels social pressure to be like, it's not that bad guys. It's two and a half stars. Cause like, mm-hmm. I genuinely don't get how anyone could watch this and be like, Oh, it's, it's not horrible. It's trash. Well, it's, it is garbage. It is I, just ex- <laughs> I just explained how I gave it a one star. So I'm not That's saying like, That's valid. Yeah. I mean, it's not a four star. Well, uh, I think the lesson about Cherry is just because you get to see a movie early does not make it good. Stop hyping up shitty movies just because you get a screener in advance. Fuck you. Anybody who does that, you're annoying and you waste my time. Yeah. The disrespect. Uh, the disrespect. I really <laughs> did enjoy, and this is a very like letterboxy thing. But I did enjoy when Cherry and Judas and the Black Messiah came out around the same time. And so my entire timeline was this really nice red uh, (laughs) between both posters, which are borderline the same thing. Um, That was good. 
that's my positive. That's my positive about <laughs> Cherry. The poster is nice. Uh, although yeah. I do miss Chirk. <laughs> Hashtag Chirk hype. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Well, I mean, unlike Cherry, we know when to stop talking about Cherry. Uh, that movie really could have used our runtime for this little segment. Uh, let's move on to hopefully I'm predicting the most positive we're going to be today. Uh, let's talk about Florian Zeller's directorial debut, The Father. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. <laughs> Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh, do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say, he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages, as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, though he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of reality. Paul, why don't you start us off with our final review for today's episode. What were your thoughts on The Father? Uh, this is my favorite film of the year. I think it's perfect. Um, in terms of just like acting, the casting, um, in production design across the board, I just, you know, uh, am just blown away by this film. And I think, uh, I may have even written this to you guys in the group chat, but I think that the reason this is uh, having trouble this year is because it's about getting older and everyone's at home right now getting older. And a lot of the, you know, voters and things, um, I think it's a little too real right now um, because I don't see a reason why this isn't blowing up, why it's not one of the main contenders. It's a guy taking his, uh, play which is really interesting and then reworking it the casting uh, like I said um, but Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins are doing I think career best work I think this is a better um, role for her than even the favorite which you know I loved but um, I am glad Chadwick will get recognition but I do wish that Hopkins was going away with the Oscar this year because it does feel like a big last hurrah kind of movie but uh what are your guys opinion uh I fully agree with you I think this is a masterpiece which it's scary that we both agree on that because that's very 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 rare uh, I agree I think Hopkins gives the performance of the year just in general um I think when you look even at this decade overall or I mean it, yeah this decade overall doesn't matter if you're talking about 2020 or 2021 because this film could really fall into either category on which year it came out um I think this is going to be one of the performances of the decade. I think this film is so brilliant with how it catches you off guard and sends you into this whirlwind of confusion. You never know what is really happening, 
what is true, what is fake. But I don't mean that in like a bad way. That is so such a cliche, especially in horror movies at this point, where like, oh, something crazy will happen, but then it's just a dream. Was it real? Was it not? Like, what are, are those creaks? Are you, you know, up? oh, I, some there's footsteps, but are, is that real? Is that fake? Like, I hate that trope in horror movies. Um, here with how the subtleness of those types of scenes um, and the production design and little things I don't really want to fully give away. Um, it is just genius. Olivia Coleman, I agree, has never been better. Granted, that's a little bit, you know, that says a little bit less than saying Anthony Hopkins has never been better, uh, considering the caliber that each uh, of roles each actor has been given. But yeah, this is, I think, fully a masterpiece. And Florian Zeller, what a fucking debut. Um, obviously, he understands the story quite well, but um, I mean, translating a play to film is not always the easiest thing. We've already seen kind of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom struggle in that sense. When I in Miami for some people struggled in that sense. He immediately translates this to a compelling, powerful and near flawless film that is scary. Um, it is, it is, I would say probably one of the best horror films of 2020. And I mean that and it's not a real horror film. Uh, it is terrifying. I think growing, you know, old and forgetting dementia, like I think that's one of the natural biggest fears of the human experience. And this film portrays that so well in such a horrifying yet subtle way. Um, I, I think this film is a masterpiece. I have to agree. Like times across the board. It is, The Father is just such a good movie. And I agree that it's kind of suffering because of like the time period it's coming out in. Because when I was watching this, I was like full, like it's just, thank God it's daylight saving times now and the sun is out because, oh my God, I've been a mess lately. But like when I watched this movie like last week in like the pits, um, it's cloudy, it's dark, I'm depressed, I hate this. And then I watched this sad ass movie you guys made me watch. I'm like, fuck you guys. Like I'm even sadder than I already was because this movie just like, rips you it's so sad but it's like you need to get past that because it's so good and it's really a shame that it's not the father is not getting the recognition it deserves like I didn't realize that this was based on a play until after I watched it and normally when movies are based on plays I can catch that like I didn't know one night in Miami was a play until after I had watched it and like saw everyone else talking about it. But you could tell because they just like stay there. And like, I, I find like, same with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I find like that movies based on plays don't use the location very well when it, it translates to cinema. But in The Father, the way the story works, it just like, it's so good. Everything about this is so good. Anthony Hopkins is great. I think he's been doing some really amazing work in his old age. Um, like a lot of people hate it on the two popes and I don't know why, I guess because it's about two popes, but that movie is actually so fucking good. He's really good in it. You should check out the two popes if he likes the father because you just get to see more Anthony Hopkins being fucking brilliant. Kind of spoilers, not really. The ending scene ripped, just broke me broke me it's it's so good everything about this is good and i'm happy that we all agree on something for once this is <laughs> well what is uh, happening. actually we usually agree when a movie's bad we just agreed oh. on three bad movies it's no. just when okay. something's good it's good that we agreed on something that we all like have we all agreed on have we all agreed on like really like because we all agreed like barb and star was good but i think alina you were less thrilled than 
Paul, no, I, I mean, like we Bob, both were. I didn't like Barb and Star. I, I yeah. liked like Jamie Jordan, but I didn't like the movie as a whole. I mean, I uh, said it would have been better if Kristen Wiig was in it. Oh, true. <laughs> so this might be the first time we're all like, wow, great film. Yeah. This um, this one in particular um, is just like so good, though. Um, and, you so know, going off what you said with horror... Sorry, maybe it will uh, overperform on the Oscar ballot because it's like ranked voting and we all have diverse opinions and we all love it. So maybe it will win Best Picture. <laughs> Who knows? I, okay, it won't win Best Picture because people keep... I feel... I'm really confused about... Uh, I guess this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm very confused about people thinking that um, either... Nomadland or Trial actually winning because I think there are too many detractors from that that will vote it last. Um, from like, I think that it'll be a very weird year. I think we're going to get like an insane best picture. Personally, Wait, so what's your current um, prediction? I'm sorry, I think Minari. It's got to be. Win, but... It's got to be that. See, it could be Minari. I think Minari and Nomadland are going to cancel each other out a little bit because um, I think people are either going to like one or the other in terms of your Oscar voting. Um, but I think it could be something weird this year. Um, Cherry, best picture. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it's got to it's gotta be something that everyone moderately likes, which is the new Oscars. That's why, you know, Green Book won. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to say about like that not being a great movie, it was the kind of movie that everyone's like, yeah, I liked it fine. Um, so I think that there is a... <laughs> There is a chance we could see, um, you know, a movie like that's most people's third rank being um, the best picture this year, uh, which I don't know what that is. We're going to see um, once uh, the nominations hit, which you'll already know. <laughs> Watch the father not even be in the best picture. And we're just like talking about it and everyone's like, okay. And then it's going to be Wednesday and the Oscar nominations are going to be out. And he's like, these people are so stupid. Dumb. yeah Dumb. Carson actually cut all of this about what we think the best thing <laughs> okay what we should do is we should record a ton of different things and then <laughs> a ton of different predictions and whichever one is right um put that one in but yeah I think also the interesting thing is this is a horror movie like if we're yeah. gonna go through you know like um uh, which also might be why people don't like it because horror is unfairly treated <laughs> at the Oscars. Um, it, this really is like a very scary movie because it's there's a realism to it that, you know, the eventuality for us if we don't die in some accident or, you know, illness is something close to this. Maybe not to the extent, but, you know, the... That's why people say, look, he's still so sharp. And it's like, well, he's not. He's <laughs> faculties are fading. But um, yeah, I completely agree with you, though, on uh, Hopkins's choices recently. I really appreciate that he is doing things this late in the game and still like, you know, I'm going to take these really hard roles. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of actors and actresses that like, once they start hitting this age, they kind of just, you know, uh, not do it all shit on someone like, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, but, you know, the emoji movie and just kind of taking like fun stuff now versus like work. I just like, I feel like 
you and I, Paul, over the course of course of our entire friendship, there have been like multiple points where we just like randomly be like, I really want to rewatch the two popes because it's just so good. Please, like, I feel like that would be a fun double feature just because of how good Anthony Hopkins is in both. Oh yeah, no, he's so good. Yeah. Um, and also, I think between uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Fleabag, um, Florian Zeller in The Father. I'm going to go with Martin McDonough for In Bruges. I think that we need to start looking at, um, you know, playwrights a lot more um, because they're doing like consistently like good work. And I think that letting people, oh, uh, the, I forgot his name, but the Thoroughbreds director who also did Bad Education, letting these playwrights like do some cool stuff is really like working out well. Um, and I think Cor- it needs Corey to continue. Finley? Corey Finley? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it definitely seems like playwrights know how to adapt plays better for movies than like directors do. Or at least that's well, what even feels like recently. Yeah, even their, uh, their original stuff. It just feels, there's, I think it's such a reliance on dialogue. There's a speediness to it because, you know, bad dialogue in a movie you can kind of get away with. Um, bad dialogue on a play, everyone's sitting there bored, literally sitting there. Um, so I think that that's, you know, it probably helps with their overall writing style. I talked some more about Two Popes because, oh my God, it's so good. Like, please give it a chance, guys. I've it's, watched it. It was fine. It no, I'm talking favorite. to our listeners. I'm talking oh. to our listeners. Because oh. <laughs> like, when it was coming out, everybody was shitting on it because everyone was like, ew, who wants to hear about like Catholic popes? And I was like, same. I don't want to hear about Catholic popes either. I'm not fucking Christian. Then I went and watched it because like Jack at the time, our editor-in-chief, he was like, Alina, you need to do more things that like are out of your comfort zone because you just write the same things over and over again. I'm like, yes, I know. Um, fine, I'll go see this fucking pope movie. And then it was so good. So, so good. Thanks, Jack, thanks, knows Jack. What's, Jack knows what's up. <laughs> Yeah. The production design that film is like incredible. The behind the scenes of that, like highly mm-hmm. recommend you check it out just for Just that. like purely for the Sistine Chapel that they did. Oh my God. Wait a second. Alina. What? Two Popes, also directed by the uh, playwright, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah, I think you're I right. Think I think so. you're right. Oh my God. See? Double feature, wow. the Two Popes and the Father. Do it right now. It's a really you good co- double feature. Yeah. But start with the father, then move to two posts yeah. because that oh, one's no, like it's super not. happy. It's Fernando Merrillis. It's the guy who did City of God. Oh, it was written by the playwright. Yeah, um, but it's directed. That's by what that it is. Was it actually right, right, written right, right, by right. the uh, playwright, or did they just give him a story credit? It says written by. Okay. Adapted from his play. Yeah, God, we've had a lot of really good play like adaptations recently, right. and also really bad ones. Um, it is interesting within a couple minutes I'll be able to tell if I'm gonna really like a play to movie adaptation um (laughs) and if I don't it's real brutal um that was me with uh One Night in Miami specifically just did not work for me I preferred Ma Rainey's I think both have problems but um I liked One Night in Miami better out of those two I much prefer One Night to to be fair I did watch One Night in Miami at a drive-in for AFI Fest. Uh, maybe I'll try it again. Um, but it just felt so stagey to me. Um, 
it undoubtedly which, does but i think it has a dynamic that like sucks me in and like, I, kept me entertained at least but it's very much so like a play yeah yeah um uh, there's a moment because the initial scenes i believe are added just for the movie um and there's a scene at the beginning at, like halfway through the first act where someone like comes on the stage and starts playing an instrument and i was like oh this is the beginning of the play like 100 percent, this is where the play starts um and the dialogue even like sounds more playish all of a sudden um very tangent <laughs> better than the um, prom that was a bad play adaptation i agree <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> i thought you were gonna say like actually <laughs> <laughs> nope i was not <laughs> that was also written by the people who did the play well, maybe they, if oh. they directed over Ryan Murphy. I feel like maybe that had potential, but who knows? On that note, that's going to be it for the reviews of this week's episode of Clappercast. Uh, to round out, we like to end on the crew's latest film, television, book, re- anything recommendation, whatever you've been consuming media-wise. Uh, Alina, why don't you start us off this week? What did you want to recommend? Um, so, like I said at the beginning, I'm covering the international film festival of ottawa which is their first year ever because i think they're trying to compete with tiff so that's fun um and they're playing losing battle (laughs) i know but listen we need some tourism that's not like oh my god i really want to see justin trudeau because our parliament buildings are closed right now for the 10-year renovation so we need we need this carson (laughs) so they're playing some movies that i happened to see at tiff like i got to rewatch beans which i really loved um that so I have two um I recommended I recommend beans because I don't know when it's coming out in a wide release but I think it's sometime this spring um and that's the movie it's about like this 12 year old mohawk girl living through the Oka crisis which is like a huge like indigenous rights issue in Canada in the 90s and like all these like white Quebecers wanted to like take land from a mohawk burial ground for a fucking golf course of all things. And the Mohawks were like, um, no, you goddamn colonizers, what the actual fuck? Um, so like this, it's like a fictional coming of age story set about set against the Oka crisis. And it's, I really, really love this movie. I think it was so well done because the director, Tracy Deer, she uses like um, actual news footage from the time in the movie instead of like recreating it. And it just like, works so well because I don't think anything can recreate like how heightened intense the emotions were when that situation was happening and it was just like it's just that that's a movie that like breaks you and I think it's really worth like every settler to watch that movie and understand like the terrible things we do to indigenous people um and then the other one that that IFFO yes is playing that also played at TIFF last year is Shiva Baby and that one's so fun and I think we're going to talk about it on the podcast like in whenever it comes out I think it comes out April 2nd in like a wide release it's just so good it reminds me of Uncut Gems because it's stressful and Jewish but like it's like it is it's like I see a lot of people making that comparison and, and it works um it's just it's about this like girl who is a sugar baby and she's like doing her sugar baby thing. Good for her queen, get it. Um, and then she happens to go to like a shiva, which is a Jewish funeral thing. Um, 
And then she sees her sugar daddy there and it's just like all hell breaks loose and it's just so good. It's good. It's amazing. Five stars. So those are my two recommendations. Uh, Paul, what are your recommendations for this week? Um, I'm going to go with something really off brand. Um, It's a rom-com interactive game um, that you can get on the iPhone and it's called Five Dates. And I really thought I was going to hate it. Um, It's this company uh whales interactive or something that um does just like fun you know uh fmv games uh full full motion video i think um and it's just a choose your own adventure but it's set in quarantine and so it's like video dating i actually just really think all of the characters are really really well-rounded and it was fun like I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Um, I think it's like six bucks to play through the whole game, but you can play the first couple levels for free, uh, first dates. Um, I just think that the dialogue's really well written. I think that the choices are uh, unique and um, the acting's really good. Uh, <laughs> I just had fun doing it. I, it's um, For me, I really love uh, the kind of choose your own adventure, interactive kind of media but I never replay it because I don't really see a point in going through the same stories again and again and again to hear the same dialogue. I think this one does a very good job at having um, branching narratives that are actually interesting and so many options that going through again is really cool. Um, So yeah, it's called Five Dates. I think it's really fun. You can also log in on Letterboxd. I just looked. You can? Wait, yeah. I just changed my life. Um, okay, well, I'll be logging it. Probably it's a like video game stars. though, right? It's a, it's a movie that you, it's a choose your own adventure movie. Okay. In the same way that like uh, the um, Bandersnatch game Got from um, Black Mirror. But yeah, it was just one of those things that I like played through and I've done so many of those. And this was the only one where I was like, I care about these characters there is a coupling out of them that like, I actually think is really good. Um, I, I enjoyed the, um, cause you're allowed to create, like it's the same actor every time, but his personality changes based on your personality. So he can be a vegetarian or a vegan or works in creative or works in healthcare and all of these things like matter. Mm-hmm. And I've never really seen that. It all it always usually feels like a facade. Um, so. Well, just waiting for it. Interesting yeah. recommendation. Uh, my recommendation for this week, I've been taking, like, catching up on 2001 films. I started doing the best picture winners and I kind of lost interest in that. So I literally just had like a random number select, pick a random year, and it was 2001. So I've been catching up on a bunch of 2001 films and rewatching ones. And when I rewatched, I know it's not necessarily like a deep uh, pick, but it's a masterpiece. Is uh, Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. What a slick, just fun uh, heist film. It is so well stylized, so well acted. Uh, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon, plenty of like good looking men. It's good. It's a really, it's a really good feature. Would definitely, if you're missing out on it as like, oh, I just never got around to it. Check it out. I can't speak for the rest of the series, but that first one from 2001, it's, it's a masterpiece. Uh, so that's going to be it for this week's edition of ClapperCast. Let's go around and find where we can find everyone on social media. Paul, why don't you start us off? <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as 
at price like tag. Alina, where can we find you on social media? I'm at Alina Falls on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. And you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk. We are also on Facebook, Letterboxd, Twitter, YouTube. You can find us there. We have a bunch of content that you can consume if you want to hear not just our three thoughts, but everyone else's thoughts. I'm sure some people are more positive about film than we are. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow us to be notified when the new episode releases every single Wednesday. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. God help us the Snyder Cuts next week. We'll see you then. Oh, fuck. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs>